This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Tyler Kern, joined by Greg Crumpton, as always. Greg, how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing great. Just uh, enjoying some beautiful weather. I'm looking out the window, and the skies are blue, and oh, yeah? it's a little bit cool, like it's uh, the beginning of autumn. So, yeah, having a, having a great morning. Got out and walked around the block a little bit, and scared the squirrels so all's all's good (laughs) i know that you're in north carolina i'm in texas and here in dallas today it is not supposed to get out of the 60s which is shocking um and so like it's rainy so that's not fun but when we're talking september in texas and it doesn't get out of the 60s i mean you just you eat that up man it is uh it is as good as it gets i hear you brother we had i think 47 this morning so it was brisk i had a had a uh, nice little Bingy cap on my bald head, so it worked out. <laughs> you got to have insulation. Got to. You're you're an expert in that sort of thing. Um. So hey, Greg, let's let's talk about our guest today. Today we are welcoming in Courtney Fallon. She's an, she's an account executive at Airtight Facilitech, a service logic company. She's there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Courtney, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely, Greg. Tell us a little bit about Courtney. Why is she uh, an ideal guest for Straight Out of Crumpton? Well, I think Courtney embodies what the next generation of HVAC sales leaders and industry leaders, uh, she kind of embodies that. Um, She's smart, young, energetic, not fearful of, you know, rejection of of a no. She keeps digging Um, and she's a student. She works at learning her craft. And um, so when, you know, we, we try to have a diverse group uh, guest on here and I was just thinking through some really cool people and she immediately came to mind and uh, just thought if, if she would be kind enough to join us it would be a, a good one and reluctantly she accepted but I twist, <laughs> twisted her arm a little bit so Courtney thank you good to I, talk to you I appreciate it I'm glad to be here so you mentioned that that next generation of HVAC leaders Greg so that, that's something we've talked about on the podcast before right yeah you know, as uh, you know, we we've talked about the baby boomers aging out of the industry, uh, which I am the youngest baby boomer, meaning I'm I was born the last year of the boom, and uh, you know I'm 56, and I'm always looking at okay, who's coming to fill the roles of of the various industry positions or leadership levels or knowledge transferers or whatever, and. Um, I just think we have to keep our eye on that to make sure that our our industry is is being uh, curated properly and and good people like Courtney are doing that well and it's so fun to get to interact with them and um, so Courtney you know why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you and I came to know each other and how you kind of uh, came to ATFT which is what we call that. Tyler, type Facilitech. It's a lot easier to say ATFT. It is. I struggled uh, all over myself trying to to say it the first time. You did good, though. It it was, I was proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Courtney, kick us off on a little rabbit trail of of your life and what you do. Yeah. So, I work for Airtight Facilitech as an account executive, and I focus mainly on making sure everyone's maintenance on their facility is up and running. I think um, a lot of my customers, a lot of prospects, 
seem to lack some knowledge on the importance of getting our maintenance done quarterly, semi-annually, yearly. Um, And we kind of just throw that money into fixing stuff instead of dishing out money and budgeting for the fiscal year and making sure that they have money um, set aside for their budget. So by doing the preventative maintenance, we're hoping to reduce some of those repair costs, um, keep the systems up and running, make sure if it's a warehouse or a manufacturing department, uh, making sure their manufacturing lines don't go down so they aren't losing production. So I'm just there to make sure things are going 100% with their heating and air um, because it is critical to the building. If people are in there, you don't want people to be too hot or too cold. And then if we are producing something in a warehouse or manufacturing site or data center, we want to make sure everything is running smoothly so a business can operate at fullest capacity to receive the greatest return. Wow. That was impressive right there, girl. <laughs> that was. Uh, uh, sign me up. Let, let me sign one right now. <laughs> so, Courtney, how did, how did you, uh, a, a smart 20-something, get involved in this wacky industry that we currently thrive in? So coming out of college, I knew just from having a sports background, I'm a go-getter. Um, I like having a tangible number in front of me that I can get to and go beyond. Um, so sales was the best fit for me. And then coming to Charlotte, I took a, actually an inside role with ATFT, um, learning the system, learning the ins and outs, which I think was great for me because I gives me a greater respect for the whole cycle of what we do as a business. Um, and then from there, I moved into outside sales. And just from being in this type of job, this type of industry, you really realize the importance of it. Um, you don't understand until you're at the forefront, how much goes into keeping a facility up and running. Um, and then also, you don't understand that a lot of people my generation, I'm 26, um, aren't going into these fields anymore. We're not doing these HVAC trades. We're going right to college. We're getting that job. Um, but it's been very interesting to see the importance of it and that we do need people shifting to trades because you know, facilities, buildings are ever growing. Cities are ever growing. I mean, just from Charlotte, there's a new new building every day, I think. Um, so it's just very important. You just, I've learned how important a trade is just from being in this business. Well, that, that's certainly uh, music to my ears. As you know, I'm a proponent <laughs> of uh, dragging everybody that I can to the party. But uh, that's really cool. And, and um, I, I do really think that the inside experience you had in the operations role makes you a, a more well-rounded salesperson because you as the seller day one are, are the voice of the organization and you have to be able to commit and commit properly without over committing or under delivering what the company is going to do. And I think by you knowing that having that, that, operational background of, uh, I don't remember how long, but many months and being able to help guide that customer through those first steps, I think is, uh, I think that's a super compliment to a sales role. I agree. It was definitely beneficial. And I didn't realize that at the time, but now as I sit back and realize the role I'm in now on how much I've grown and been able to develop, I truly respect the fact that you know, I was allowed the job at a young age at 22 and I grew from there and here we are four years later still doing it. So God, it's hard to believe it's been four years. I know it's crazy. 
seems like just yesterday we were having the uh, sushi that somebody gave us and it was made out of spam, if I recall. I, I recall that too, Greg. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is no joke. This is a thing. And I didn't know it was a thing. But one day, uh, Courtney and one of her coworkers and I were going to get together at lunch and just talk about some networking and, and you know, HBC community in Charlotte because we both are in Charlotte. And um, for whatever reason, we the, the sushi restaurant was chosen. So we go there and they brought us a sample of a piece of sushi, like made out of spam. <laughs> Greg ate and it. I, I ate it. And <laughs> it was, so I, I'm, I feel like I'm like uh, I'm preserved from the inside. So I will live forever. But um but it was kind of, I, just, I don't remember why, or I don't know why I remember that, but that was a funny day. So tell us about the uh, the rowing and, and being on a team at a, at a super high competitive level. Uh, I think you went to the University of South Carolina. No, sir. That's not, that is my <laughs> role. <laughs> I was extremely I, okay. fortunate enough to attend the Clemson University in All South right. Carolina. So I knew that. I, I, I just wanted to get a rise out of her. So, um, so tell us, tell us about that and how how you know working uh, or, or as an athlete and, and training and, and having a team goal. How does that like correlate into what you do day to day now? And, um, or if it does, I remember I was recruited, um, my junior year going into senior year of high school and I was the only one being recruited division one on my team. So that alone was extremely scary, extremely a challenge. Um, and I was just unsure of kind of what was really next for me, if sports were included or not, but as I thought on it, and I think this goes back to basic life, right? There's always going to be an opportunity out there that might be scary, but an opportunity will always be present. And if you're willing to challenge yourself and think outside the box, you can succeed at that opportunity. So I've taken that a lot into my personal life um, with work, with everything, just because opportunities are endless. Um, but from sports, I just learned really how to grind, how to not be afraid, how to push yourself. Um, you're going to fail. That's the reality of life. You're going to have highs, you're going to have lows, but it's what you take from those lows and how you grow from them and how you succeed in the future that really makes you the person you are. Um, and I think I've transitioned that pretty well into sales. Like you said, I could get a no every single day. It's not going to phase me because at the end of the day, I know what I'm providing is a great solution, probably the best out there. And if they can't see that, then that's something they'll learn and can maybe come back to me in the future for the best fit for them. Um, but I just kind of learned to be aggressive, not be afraid, take chances. Um, as a female, a young female in a sales role, um, it can be hard, but I think that leadership from being in sports and being at a division one level showed me that, you know, you can't step down. If something's not right, you stand up for it. Um, and like you said, you just keep pushing yourself. No, that's well said. I, um, and, and, Tell everybody what kind of team it was. We didn't define that. So I was on the Clemson University Women's Division One team, um, and it was a team of about 40 girls. Uh, you're competing every day against each other. It's not just you're competing against other teams. There's only eight females rowing in a boat. So you want to be in varsity one. You don't want to be in varsity two. So I remember every year was a grind to get up to varsity one and to earn my spot in that boat. And I teetered a lot between varsity two and varsity one, the boats. Um, 
But I think that also made me push myself harder every single time because I knew I deserved varsity one. Um, but I knew that's not my decision. I have to prove it to, you know, the upper leader. So I got there eventually senior year and it was the greatest feeling ever just to row with those girls. That is awesome. So I know Clemson University fairly well. And did you guys row in the river or, or Lake Hartwell or where did y'all practice? Lake Hartwell. We had our facilities yeah. right on the lake. So it was perfect. Okay. Yeah. I think y'all are like north of 85 going up. But and and Clemson owns a big piece of property up through there. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I've uh, I've been fortunate enough to fish up there in the fall of the year. It's just gorgeous. The rowing aspect, you know, I find it really interesting because I didn't know him. I didn't know anything about rowing until I read a book called The Boys in the Boat. Mm-hmm. And have you read that? Yes, sir. Okay, so Tyler, I, you probably have. You read the dang thing I've ever mentioned, but. This, this uh, for those who haven't read it, it's a story about the Olympic rowing team and how the, the struggle for these guys is they were in the University of Washington, way out in the upper northwest of our country, and all the excellent rowing, rowing uh, competitive schools were East Coast, Harvard, Yale, what have you. And the story involves... Uh, particular guy and how he worked through the summers to earn money and eventually how the University of Washington became like the premier rowing school. And I think this is 1936, if I recall. Mm -hmm. And they wound up going to the Olympics and just the sheer determination of that team, because most of those guys in the summer would go over to the Hoover Dam and do manual labor, building the dam to earn money to then go back to school because they weren't in a, you know, a, a privileged uh, lifestyle. So the tenacity of the rower and just understanding through that book um, really gave me a fine appreciation for, for what Courtney's talking about right now. So if you haven't ever read the book, it, it's certainly a great read and really uh, shows some good grit and determination of our uh, human race. I, I fully agree with that statement. So Courtney, from, from being a collegiate athlete um, and also then being a student, right? Did that teach you, uh, I guess, like prioritization and how to manage time and that sort of thing? Because you, you spend a lot of time at practice, right? And at training and, and doing workouts and that sort of thing, but also have to complete the regular amount of schoolwork that someone like me would have complained about without even being an athlete and having the other stuff, you know, uh, added on top of that. Right. So how did that teach you, you know, time management and other things like that, that you've then taken into your, your professional life? It, it teaches you time management crazy. I remember we were up at 5am every day for practice, Monday through Friday, and then Saturday, you're up at 6am practicing until about noon, and then you would head off to the football game. Um, so your life is taken as a freshman at Clemson, as a student athlete, you have 10 hours of study hall a, a week that you have to or mandated to go to. Um, they make your schedule packed, but a routine is good, right? Someone with routine and structure is going to be far more successful than someone that's just going through the motions without any schedule. But I think it's also helped me now because it being a college athlete really made me understand how important it is physical and mental health. Um, rowing is a very mental sport. It 
it's a number game. You're staring at numbers all day. You're being ranked against your own teammates every single day. Um, you're physically throwing your body to the wall. You were hurt every single day. Um, but it just teaches you so much more. And like you said, as time management discipline, I, I still make a routine. I still make a schedule for myself. I still write down my top 10 priorities I need to get done for the day. And then maybe 10 that could get to if I have time. So just structuring my life. And I've also really incorporated um, in physical fitness. I think it's important to get outside every day and go for a walk and work out and eat healthy. Because if you're not mentally and physically at your best, you're not going to perform in other areas at your best. So that's really the, the critical points I've taken away from just being a student athlete is you have to set a schedule. You have to be make a rigid schedule where you're following it daily and you have prioritized what needs to be done, but you also need to focus on, Hey, am I mentally and physically here every single day? Because when I am, I will perform at my best. Mm-hmm. Do you still wake up at 5am every day? I do actually. I still go to the Y every morning. Um, with COVID it's been a little different. I've been working out from home because the gyms were closed, but I bought weights um, I did the most, but it's, I, again, like I said, if you're not physically and mentally prepared, not n- other areas of your life won't be as successful. Well, and it, I, I had a baseball coach that used to say this every practice that you're only as strong as your weakest link. And I'm guessing in rowing, it's, it's probably pretty similar, right? Like you all want to be, you all have to be in sync and you all have to be working and, and kind of pulling all towards that same direction and pushing towards that same goal equally. Right. And so I, I'm guessing business isn't all that different, right? Uh, a company is only as strong as its weakest points. And that's probably something that you've also seen uh, as well, just in your time that you, that you probably picked up on quite a bit in sports. It's just, everyone has to be pushing and pulling in the same direction and relationships plays a, plays a pretty big role in that. I agree, especially with, you know, as a service industry, what we're selling, what I'm selling is not tangible, right? So it's a lot of trusting from the client, from the customer that I'm going to be able to provide them what they need. And then it's a lot of trust from me to my internal team, my service department, my operation manager, that they're going to get everything scheduled, fully executed, uh, maintenance sheets sent out and billing will be completed on time. So just like rowing, just like following the motions of following the person in front of you and being in sync, airtight is just the same. We all have to be in sync because if not, the ball is going to be dropped and we're going to have to pick it up later. So I I do pride myself in that also. I think we have a great tight-knit community over there at Airtight, and I think we all do work together for the same outcome um, because selling a service is different than selling an item. Well, Courtney, congratulations. You made it 27 minutes (laughs) before the word trust came up. (laughs) That is true. And um, if I know you've listened to every one of these podcasts and know them religiously. So therefore, you know that trust is a common theme. Right. And uh, we we do talk about it because it is so important as a consumer. You know, like you're a consumer, I'm a consumer, but we're also providers. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what that allows us to do is really focus on that that service and that customer service more closely maybe because we're delivering and uh, you know on, on our other task we're delivering as opposed to consuming and you have to be able to trust and you have to build that rapport i think and we've stated this before it's all about the timing and how long does it take from you calling on a prospect until they believe in in you and or your system and or your company 
well enough to jump off and sign that document that says, okay, we're business-wise married now. Let's go. And you know that that courtship period, I guess you would call it, is um, you know it's really important in how you perform during that time, not just you know after you get the signature, but you have to work your tail off before you get it to prove that you're the right deal. So, what are some of the things like walk us through a prospecting? you know, journey and how you kind of build your, your, okay, you got a contact. However, Greg Crumpton gives you an awesome lead because you know, he does all the time. And so you take that info from, from Greg or whomever and how, what does that process look all the way up to, you know, eventually, as you said, invoicing for the work completed. I'd love to hear how you envision that. Right. And I, I think you've seen some of what I've done um, just by some of the prospects I've had. But, you know, cold calling, reaching out to prospects, I think networking is a big thing in this industry. Um, seeing someone face to face and really building that bond and rapport is so much more calming, so much more welcoming, a warm welcome rather than I'm kind of picking up the phone and dial for dial. Um, but both are great tactics just to kind of get that prospect, get your foot in the door, get your name out there. Um, Once I have that first meeting scheduled, usually a lunch or a coffee, I really get to know the person, right? Like I said, I'm selling a service. I'm not selling a product. So it's not tangible. So what this person needs to see is that, okay, we're a legitimate company. We have great customers. We have, you know, great feedback from clients we've had. And then that the customer is going to be face to face with me. So I always try to remind them like, I am your focal point. I am your main point of contact. I am your backbone during this, right? If a situation comes up, I'm going to be the first to jump on it and fix it. Um, and from there, it's just understanding the needs of their facilities. Because yes, I would love to sell. Every person I meet, I would love to sell a contract too. But sometimes we might not just be the best fit for them or they not, might not be the best fit for us. So it's also weeding that out too, right? I want to get into a facility that is a a critical need or um, a hospital or a big story uptown facility rather than maybe staying away from a a retail shop. So just really classifying what is important to us and what what mission I'm trying to sell. Um, So finding that information, finding the, the trigger points for the client, right? A lot of times people are going to be like, I use X, Y, and Z company, they're great. I have this done, blah, blah, blah. And you you have to respect what they're saying, but you got to dive in more. You got to ask those questions. If you're just listening and not asking, you're never going to know the true information. So I try to hit, you know, what, what's the biggest issue when you're looking for a vendor? Is it price? Is it um, the turnaround time? Is it maintenance sheets? What, what are you looking for that's going to fully satisfy you? And then I try to up, up talk what we do best at, right? We provide maintenance sheets for every site, for every unit if you want. Um, So you have a lot of tangible paperwork that trails with you. So when it's time to replace the units, you can say, oh, these have been on here for 10 to 15 years. You know, it's about that time. Let's make a CapEx plan. So I think for me, it's really just providing that full support to a client. Um, And then as we go, say I do a site walk, we price it up, get some feedback, make sure scope matches exactly what they're looking for. And then if price is a little too high, I suggest options of where we could cut back on scope without reducing the maintenance done on their facility. So I try to make it to 
fit the client's best needs, um, but also make sure if, if budget's the main issue, try to fit those needs as well with cutting some scope out. So from there, once it's signed, um, like I said, from working in the back system, I know how everything gets inputted, which is great for me. So I make sure my service team has it. I make sure the dispatchers have it in the system. Accounting has a new customer set up. And then just following up, I actually just closed a contract um, this week and she had reached out to the customer and said, you know, can we get this scheduled for the end of the month. So from there, she's not reaching out to our service team. So it's my job to make sure, hey, service department, I'm passing this off to you. Let's get this scheduled. And then I check back in later. And I always check back in with my clients after the first maintenance. So they're fully satisfied because it's a new tech coming out to a site. They have to show them around. So I also thank the client for taking time out of their time to show the, to show my technician on where he's exactly working, the ins and out of the facility, how he should move, who he should check in and out with. Um, but I just want to make sure they're completely comfortable with everything they're receiving. And if we can improve in any way, I love to get feedback. So again, like I said, I try to make myself the focal point, a main point of contact for them so they feel comfortable reaching out to them, reaching out to myself with any needs. Well, I think that that's a heck of a summary. One thing that struck me um, that I've always embraced mentally, even though sometimes I couldn't do it physically because I was told that's not how we did it back in the day, but <laughs> um, deciding who you want to work for, to me, is, is really germane to making a good customer relationship flow. Right. Because if, if you're out there hawking to every, every opportunity – how do you know which ones are special? And to your point, you know, you know what verticals you guys are good at. Mm -hmm. And to be able to focus and say, okay, I'm not going to sell, uh, you know, retail, restaurant, whatever you're not focusing on, but knowing, okay, here's a list of, you know, healthcare facilities. We're good at healthcare. And I'm going to go focus on this healthcare vertical for three months and make a blitz, you know. Right. I think I think that is where some salespeople don't do as well as others because it's more of a shotgun approach. Mm -hmm. And like and, and I know the pressure of having to sell, especially when you're starting out, you're, you know, hell, you just want to sell something, you know. Anything. You just need that, <laughs> that that victory. And because that's the mental part of it is if you like you're tenacious enough to where you can hear no a lot, but a lot of people have to be conditioned to learn that. And it's, it's can be hard for some people to hear no every day. And, uh, but if, once you get that victory and then you start figuring out how you're getting that victory or why you're getting that victory, it becomes much more repeatable. But I really think it, a lot of it comes from knowing what you're good at and going after that as opposed to, you know, throwing a bunch of stuff on the wall to hope it's hope it sticks. I agree. So Tyler, what how do you guys, you know, when you're thinking about uh market scale, mm -hmm. how do how do y'all kind of conceptualize who you want to go work for? How does that process work internally for y'all? We have a uh, a team of people similar to what Courtney does um, that that talks a lot about you know building media channels and and the benefits that that can provide uh, for businesses right so for you know our our work with Service Logic 
we say, you know, you have, um, you know, companies that, that you guys are, are going to work with. Let's give you some tools. Let's give you some ways to reach out to those people, be it videos, podcasts, you know, things along those lines and, um, and help you speak directly to those people using different media channels because everyone's consuming media all the time. Right. And so, uh, so why not do that for your, for your B2B business also? So that's, that's what we do at market scale. And we have a team of people similar to Courtney that are really talented and gifted in that area. And for me, I don't think I could, I don't think I could do what, what Courtney does. And I admire people who can, um, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very bad at, at hearing the word. No, um, that's like a, a massive shot to my ego and I can't handle it. Um, and I'm also very bad at, at saying no. Um, and so I often take on way too many projects and way too many things. And so that's, a <laughs> that's a personal weakness in, in, in me, I suppose. But yeah, I just, I, for, I would struggle to to do that job, and so that's that's one of the things that I I particularly admire is um, people who who don't mind kind of getting into those conversations and and you know pivoting when uh, when you hear no or hear that this isn't going to work. Okay, let's find something else that does. Uh, I really admire that and, and find that to be um, and find it to be fascinating to talk to people who are good at doing that and who can work that way. Um, and, and so, you know, just here at market scale, I'm happy to, to not be in a role where that's, that's my primary function. And, um, but, uh, I really do admire the people who, who can do that role really well. Well, Courtney's good at it. Yeah. There's no doubt. No doubt. And, you know, I think that shows, so the three of us are all different in that she's got it naturally. You don't have it naturally. And I had to learn it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all situational based on what we're exposed to uh, early on and then what we adapted to like your job. You don't have to sell. You get to do and you get to do what you like to do. Right. I know that. Right. And then an old geezer like me, you know, uh, coming out of the HVAC industry as a technician, I didn't know any of that crap. I knew <laughs> how to spell monochlorodifluoromethane. Um, but I didn't know the first thing about EQ or, or, you know, how to interact or any of that. So that was all having to be learned in real time. So just that, that's interesting to me, that human piece of that. But I think that, you know, even, you know, when, when running a service company and we would have a young technician and maybe they had had a, a bad experience on a job or they screwed something up, you know, we always would work internally and say, all right, let's get him a, a, a small victory, send him on maintenance. Let's get, let's get his energy back. Let's get his confidence back. Cause that, that psyche, you know, when you're behind the windshield of your car or truck uh, and you have a little bit too much free time to think, you know, you mm -hmm. can think yourself right into the ditch if you're not careful. Well, and one of the things that I think that you mentioned there that's interesting, Greg, is that I, I have seen that in different positions that I've been in, different jobs require different things. And I think people are adaptable and can learn new things, right? And so I think that there's something to be said for when put in, in certain circumstances, it's going to bring out different aspects of your, your personality. I think if I were to take a personality test now, it would look different than it did five, six years ago when oh. I was in a less leadership-oriented role than what I do currently. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. So I think that that's probably something to, to highlight as well is that I've, I've never been asked to, to do sales and I think I would be bad at it because I'm, I'm terrible at turning down the cable company when they want to upsell me on things, you know? And so I think, oh, I'd be bad at sales. But 
I think there's something to be said for in different roles, you learn different things and it brings out different aspects of who you are as a person. And Courtney, I know that, you know, in holding different roles, like you mentioned, working on the operations side, you probably, um, you know, utilize different aspects of your personality as opposed to what you utilize now uh, in more of a sales oriented role. I, I firmly agree with that. I've definitely grown and developed. And I think some of the sales is a little natural to me, but there's also been a lot of not growing, but I've had to learn along the way. I've had to as comfortable as I am with myself and with talking to a wall or anybody around me, it's still, you know, as a young female, it still can be a challenge to go up to someone and be like, Hey, I'm going to provide this service for you. Let's buy it. You know what I mean? So I I had growing pains along the way and I've learned, I've gotten down that elevator speech. I've learned, you know, to be more comfortable in what I'm actually selling. So it does take time for sure for anybody. So Tyler, if, if you refer back, you, you mentioned a while ago, the personality profiles and how those things evolve. I've taken the DISC profile, D-I-S-C, many, many times over my 40 years of industry from a technician all the way through now working at ServiceLogic on the leadership group or w- within that group. And um, it, it is fascinating to see how you change. But to your point about utilizing different pieces of your personality so you have a natural style and an and an adaptive style. So if you're having to adapt out of your natural into something else, that measurement is stress. So that's why it's so important. You know, you hear people like Steve Jobs say, or said, past tense, if uh, you find something that you love to do and do it every day, you, you never have to work or whatever that is, that little saying. And because if, if you're doing something you don't love and you're doing it for whatever reason and you're having to adapt your personality to that role, that's very stressful on the human brain. So that's what I learned by the disc is just seeing what I was using of my, my disjointed personality and how to make it better for whatever role I was leading or, or you know, whatever group I was uh, trying to lead at any given time. But it, it was just an interesting study on myself and learned a ton, learned a ton about that. And, um, you know, Courtney is part of a, a fleet of uh, really high level salespeople across our country, our company and across the country. She has 125 or 30 peers that also sell preventive maintenance agreements as she does. And then there's another group about the same size that sells more projects and replacement work type. And um, we really, we I say we, Ryan Crawl, who's our CMO, uh, really got interested in how do we, you know, make sure that we're fitting the job to the personality. And um, we have reduced the turnover in, in Courtney and her peers' positions by working uh, with with somebody who helps us understand personalities better, so it's a, it's a science and a little bit of art, you know, thrown in there. But good good stuff, good stuff. So I know Courtney, we're we're getting close to the witching hour, um, and I just really do want to thank you for coming on and and joining us and and kind of sharing some of your insight as to what you do and how you do it and how those relationships impact your life and your and your wallet so <laughs> thank thank you for that thank you for having me 
Is is there anything we didn't ask you that we should know about you? That you should know about me? Hmm. I don't think that's so. My new in- that's my new ending, Tyler, by the way. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, I do want to ask, Courtney, if if you don't mind, I, I'm... One of the things that I'm I'm working on right now at, at Market Scales, working with one of our one of our clients on a women in technology um, series that just talks about um, percentage of women in certain positions throughout tech and, and that sort of thing. And one of the one of the topics that we're we're covering is women in sales type positions and um, just the 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 challenges that that might come along with being uh, being a woman in a sales type role. How has your experience been? Maybe not necessarily on the service logic side, but just when it comes to dealing with clients and working in what I would assume is a predominantly male dominated field, right? And so what, what type of feedback do you get? Are there challenges that are associated with being a woman or are there advantages? You know, just what has that experience been like for you? I think there's a mix of both, right? I think the challenges are you are a female in a male dominated industry. Um, I'm the only female on our sales team at the office. Um, I do not mind that I actually like it because it makes me want to work harder. Um, but I think as a female in the industry, just getting your name out there, making yourself an actual person of the product or the service rather than just looking at you as a young female can can be a little challenging, right? When I go out to a client, I want them to take me seriously because I'm not there for anything else but business. Um, and I remember there's actually one client I had, we were up on the roof looking at a unit and it was a train unit. So it's very easily easy to calculate the tonnage based off the model number. And I was able to tell him, I was like, oh, that's a five ton unit. And it was like the first time someone had looked at me with respect and was like, wow, you actually know what you're talking about. You're just not a female trying to sell something. You're actually educated on it. And I think that goes for anyone, not just a female, but gaining that trust, gaining that rapport and bond by having them actually understand that you know what you're talking about has helped me a lot. And I think that's something every female should pride themselves on. Um, We're smart females, a female brain, a female body is crazy, incredible, can do so much. So I just think as you continue to educate yourself and learn, be more educated in your field. So they will take you serious um, and understand that, you know, what you're trying to sell, what you're trying to get across is good. And it will help them rather than just a young female showing up, looking to go to lunch with the next client or anything. (laughs) Now, well said, Courtney, that's, um, you know, I was telling the the uh, spam story earlier, and one of the ladies that that was joining us that day worked at the company before I sold it to Service Logic, and we had all female salespeople for a while in Courtney's role. And you know, our model, our motto was, you know, and, and once you get there, you really got to deliver. And having that that education mindset of being able to help the customer, just like Courtney described that 060 and that model number, she knew that was five ton. That's a difference maker right there. You know, as she said, it was immediately apparent to that, uh, I'm assuming a guy who she was on the roof with, of like, wow, you know, not, I mean, it's a shocker. It shouldn't be, but it is still. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm proud of her for being able to do that and to educate herself so that she, you know, not only makes our company look good, but makes herself as a, you know, a, a subject matter expert in, in many areas. So thank you for that, Courtney. For sure. Greg, 
I think it's the. Uh, I think we've come to the end of another just uh, awesome, awesome, and enlightening episode of uh, of Straight Out of Crumpton. Well, I, I mean, every time we get to talk to somebody smarter than the two of us combined, <laughs> it's always a good thing. Yeah, not not hard to find. And so to far, be we've done twenty six versions of this, and I think we've met that goal each time. So that's, that's yeah. always a good thing. But no, I, really, I agree. Really fun. Really, um, and as you said, enlightening. Just seeing our world from Courtney's thighs and, and hearing it really good. So thank you both. Love it. Good stuff. Thank you. Very, very good stuff. And yeah, always enjoyed the conversation. So Courtney, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of straight out of Crumpton. It was a, uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Greg, like you said, we've done uh, 26 of these. We're going to, we're going to keep doing them. So, uh, so yeah, make sure you're subscribed there on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify to stay up to date with the latest episode of straight out of Crumpton, or just go to gregcrumpton.com. The guy has his own website, so uh, you can hear all of the podcasts there as well. Greg, any uh, any parting thoughts? Any final words? Nope. I'm just I'm gonna take the disc profile again today and see how <laughs> weird I am. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. Keep showing the same result. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing, and uh, we'll be back soon with more episodes of Straight Outta Crumpton. But until then, everyone stay safe, and we'll talk again soon.